Attention all fashion forward listeners, while you eagerly await the next captivating episode of Personal Threads, we've got a special treat for you. Today we're diving into the world of elegance and style with an episode from another fantastic Ascot podcast, A New Era in Style. This podcast brings you the creme de la creme of the fashion industry featuring iconic designers, culinary geniuses and trendsetters. So without further ado, let's step into the chic realm of A New Era in style. So welcome back to our gloriously insightful podcast, Royal Ascot, a new era in style. And of course, Royal Ascot is a British sporting and social event like no other. It marks the pinnacle of the flat racing season. Five days of world-class racing featuring Europe's leading thoroughbreds, a global destination for fashion lovers, where stepping out with impact is another way to turn heads and all in the presence of our dear royal family. And a hugely important part of what makes Royal Ascot such a sumptuous and special occasion is the outstanding variety of fine dining options available to our keen racegoers who can't help but come back year on year for more. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce one of Royal Ascot's resident celebrity chefs and tying in very nicely to our theme, a master of sustainable cooking, the genius that is Simon Rogan. Hello, Simon. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm doing very well, thank you. Very good to hear. So where do we find you today? Um, I'm at my home in the lakes, busy away with the restaurants, reopening. So it's been a great week. I'm so pleased to hear it. It's so exciting, isn't it, that everything's opening up? It is, yeah. I mean, it's just to welcome our guests back to the restaurant and uh, my team being able to do what they do is, is, is really exciting. It's great to see everyone back together and see our, our little village back to life again. And that community thriving and all being connected again. It's so brilliant. Now, I mean, before we go on to sustainability and before we go on to, of course, our host, Royal Ascot, how did you start in cooking? You know, was it one of those stories where you're watching your grandmother and your mother or your father, whoever's cooking at home and you felt deeply inspired? Or what was your first introduction into the world of cooking and beautiful food? My mother and father were working class parents, so I more often than not get in from school before them. And uh, I sort of uh, volunteered to do the family meal, really. And I just had a real love for, for cookery. I really enjoyed it. Coupled with that, that uh, my dad was a fruit and veg salesman, so I used to go down to the markets in, in Southampton where I, where I was brought up, experience the smells, the chaos and, uh, of the fruit markets and all the forklift trucks bombing around, putting fruit onto trucks or you know, to go down to the docks for the, for the ocean liners. So I really developed a, an interest in ingredients as well. And that's interesting, isn't it? From a very young age, I suppose you were using a lot of fresh produce that you, know, you just had access to. Absolutely, yeah. And one of the perks of my, my dad's job was he'd come home with a, a potato sack full of uh, fruit and vegetables. Lots of stuff that, uh, during that time that's really unusual, like star fruit and pawpaw and mango. I mean, we're going back a few years, obviously. Mm. You know, more often than not, they sit in the fridge and go to waste. And uh, that was, was not good for me. And, uh, and I wanted to find out what I could do with these things, what you could make with them. Um, so I suppose that's where my sort of sustainability ethos came from, really, as well. So how did it go from being, you know, a curiosity to then having a job and then earning some proper cash and then sort of it turning into this profile, I guess, where it's sort of other people were recognising what you were offering to this sector? Yeah, well, I got offered a full time job. It was a Greek restaurant I used to work at. And uh, from school, it was, it was, shall I go to college? Shall I go to university? But 
I don't, I, I must confess, I enjoyed the money that I earned and I love cooking. So they offered me a full time job, which I took. And uh, if I'm being perfectly honest, the two guys that own the Greek restaurant, they, they, they were sort of the, you know, two of the, you know, most uh, prominent playboys in, in Southampton. They used to take me to nightclubs. So I thought I was living the life of Riley. It was, it was amazing and getting paid a, a nice wage for it as well. But it was only when I went to college and started working, uh, you know, day release with, with other people that worked mm. in really amazing restaurants in the New Forest and surrounding areas of Southampton, good country house hotels. I realised that far from being, you know, the bee's knees, seeing I've worked all these years already actually the bottom of the class because I actually knew nothing that ignited the competitive nature in me so unfortunately I had to leave the restaurant uh, where I, which I loved working and go and find myself a, 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 an apprenticeship in, in a country house hotel myself and thankfully I found one under a chef who was amazing gave me a real classical grounding which I think is really important any type of cookery that you're, you're, you, you, know, you want to portray that was it, really, and um, all of a sudden I was at, being paid absolutely no money uh, on an apprenticeship, but it was it was too late. You were in. I was in and in love with what I was doing, and I just wanted to make the best of myself and get to the best standard that I could. What are the sort of disciplines that you have to sort of put into place when you're when you're looking at taking it out of the kitchen and just sort of becoming this personality in in your field? Well, I think you know, for for me, you always got to sort of remain humble nothing's too much for you got to look after your team especially now with brexit and uh you know the, the troubles we have in the world getting getting a team this is really difficult and having the right numbers obviously we're very very busy having the right numbers to to, to feed those restaurants is, is is very very important so best way to keep them is treat them well pay them well give them the right conditions and, and give them all the tools to do the job and to make things interesting. So that's really, really important to me and to remain humble and, and to treat them well is the name of the game, really. I suppose accolades have always been very, very important to a restaurant. They create wealth and, and, and turnover. But but for me, the, the biggest uh, objective really has been to do something that really made a difference, you know, to have a restaurant that, that people will sort of think about and in 10, 20 years time when I've hung up my apron so that guy did something that was really meaningful yeah um, and remembered like you know I'm, I'm not, if I'm remembered half as much as the Ruse or Nicola Dennis or Raymond Blanc I'd be very very happy what those guys now have done for for, for British cooking is tremendous when you say about this this area of having a point of difference or having a, a, the conversation or the narrative that sits around your your offering you know how people feel from that experience and I guess you know we're probably talking a few years ago before the word sustainability became a bit more on vogue Hmm. what were the building blocks for you in those early days about kind of making sure that there was some sort of not ethical messaging necessarily but there was there was a sense of like you say stuff just not going to waste obviously the the creation of Long Clue 19 years ago now I was in the northwest I had this interest in in quality ingredients in, in wild ingredients. I did a lot of foraging as as uh, as a young chef when I had my apprenticeship in the New Forest. So being in the Cumbrian countryside and having all these amazing ingredients around me was the real driving force of, of, of Long Clume and, and, and the concept that I wanted to uh, produce. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always easy though. In 2002 when we opened, the standard of produce was, was pretty poor up here. Mm-hmm. best stuff was in London but it still had to come from Paris or it still had to come from halfway around the world so 
we went to work with a local farm right in the beginning and it was an organic farm and they started growing certain things for us. We couldn't afford to go completely organic in those days because it was so expensive. So mm-hmm. we sort of made that bigger and bigger and, and just frustration really with, with the produce uh, made us go off and, and do bigger and, and better things. The frustration of not being able to just buy the a perfect radish, I mean, which is the most simple thing in the world to, to grow. And yeah. I grow in radishes and that grew to carrots and turnips and beetroots and you know, the, the sky's the limit now. So was this the inception of your farm? Was that how that started? Or what, what came first? Because obviously... You didn't... Yeah, so working with, with, this, uh, with this farm and the, the opportunity then came to, to take it over and run it ourselves. Right. But it was of a certain size and we wanted to grow more and more stuff and get um, bigger and expand and um, we we're unable to do that so we moved to the farm where where we are now which is obviously vast compared to that one and um where we we're pretty much sustainable throughout throughout the summer months and um you know we're, we're doing our best to make sure we're able to produce enough in those summer months to preserve for the winter months so we don't go looking for produce elsewhere then as well so it's a massive operation uh, it's taken a long time to come to fruition but but we're getting there and we're very proud of what we've got yeah and that's it isn't it you put in a lot of the hard work in the early days that actually now when you're sort of streets ahead you're kind of well established and set up for this sort of new new age citizen this new age customer mm. i mean i guess you know we're looking at it, people are really waking up to this need to act sustainably in all areas of life and a number of industries are looking internally to see where improvements can be made now as a chef you're an advocate of the farm to fork movement why is that so important to be able to trace food supply lines to you um well i mean uh, there's there's a number of reasons really i mean I'm a, I'm a big opinions of the amount of meat we eat i like to eat meat and fish but we eat far too much, and uh, some of the, the ways out of our problems for the for the world is is to eat a little bit less meat. The perils of animal agriculture and the pollution that it causes. So the the next best thing is obviously vegetables and cooking them in imaginative ways, and and, and making you know sure that uh, they're pushed more to the forefront. But then buying vegetables from supermarkets isn't necessarily the right thing because you know the pesticides and things that are treated with are not particularly nice for you so for me the 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 actual answer is eating a lot more organic vegetables which is something that obviously we 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 specialize in and then buying those vegetables like the organic option at the supermarket is is probably still not the way to go is it you're suggesting that maybe it's all should come directly from a farm locally buy organic at supermarkets it should be organic and it should be free of pesticides and and should be really nice for you buying just normal vegetables off the shelf it's not you know they're they're treated with pesticides with things that are not good for your body you know for me the the movement towards organic vegetables and biodiversity is is the answer that takes time i think it's accelerating a lot now there's a lot of other people doing what we're doing which is which is amazing um you know we've always wanted other people to get involved and, and for the movement to become bigger and bigger so people stand up and take notice so very important for us and to have the facility of, of picking something out of the ground literally four or five minutes from from our restaurants amazing Being in the ground maybe an hour before someone's someone's eating it i mean it's, it's great really uh, fulfilling and obviously we we have all the bits that you, we, we we utilize everything you know so a plant doesn't just have its fruit it has a stem it has a root it has a flower you know there's lots of other wow. bits that feeds our creativity and that you can't buy anywhere else to have that facility is, is pretty amazing for for me and and all the team here's a question so would you call yourself a farmer or a chef 
Farmer Chef, uh, Chef Google Farmer. I mean, that's what we call ourselves, Google Farmer. You know, myself and uh, my associates that have set the farm up, we were not particularly knowledgeable and things. We just learned as we've gone, gone along and we grow things now which we know we can grow well. Some things we just don't bother with because we're hopeless at it or we haven't got the climate for it or, you know, we haven't got the ground for it. So if something went wrong, we'd Google it and uh, hope for not make the same mistake again. Um, but if we did, then we just forget about it. But we're a lot more disciplined now with, with the farm um, because every year we'd get the seed catalogs and we'd say, right, let's grow this and this will get all really over the top and excited. And obviously when you come to the summer, you've got so many ingredients to use on a menu, which is only so big. So now we grow less varieties, but a lot of that variety. So we And what are you growing most of? Ooh, uh, probably cabbage. We grow a lot of cabbage because one of the dishes we have is, is very, uh, it's, it's a bit of a signature of ours and it stays on um, quite a bit. Cabbage, lettuce. Lettuce is a good one because it's, it's, it's a really high turnover ingredient where, you know, you can grow lots of them. They, they're really quick to grow. Mm-hmm. There's a few. But I would say probably cabbages is probably what got the most in the ground as we speak at the moment, yeah. What would you say is the most satisfying thing for you? about being a chef what do you really love that keeps you plugged in keeps you intrigued and 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 that sense of purpose like what what do you love about it well i think you know like i said the uh the the farm is the center of everything it's what drives us forward and having having that produce and those ingredients available to us taking them away to our our research kitchens and, and and creating something for the enjoyment of our guests and having my team around me that you know We've got a big team, um, but what makes the team so special is that everyone's ahead, you know, 100% head over heels in love with what they're doing as much as I am. Yeah, and I guess also the, the, the idea of fine dining has changed so much over the, the last few years, especially now it feels like that experience of gain, like many of those sort of, I guess, luxury sectors, that the story behind everything is actually... Mm. That the, what makes it a luxury experience what does it look like today for leading chefs such as yourself how what, how do you define fine dining now well with, with difficulty to be quite honest we're classed as a fine dining restaurant there, there is a certain price point involved with fine dining but you get what you what what you pay for you know the setting up a farm and growing all your, your own stuff sounds really glamorous and exciting but it costs a lot of money we've made money on it we've probably lost money over the years because you know, it, is, it is a bit, seems to be a bit of a, a throwing money into a bottomless pit, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're, we're hooked by it. We, we we can't stop. We're always trying to improve. We're trying to make things bigger, better, you know, new techniques, new supplies of energy. You know, there's always something to do. So the experience is, is, is quite expensive. But with the ratio, also probably one staff member to one guest, it's not cheap either. So. Wow. Yeah, it's hard to say what fine dining is. I sort of put that with you know stuffy service and mm-hmm. an arrogant attitude and stuff like that. But um, hopefully, you won't find that in our restaurants. We like it to be really, really welcoming, uh, really sort of you know quite, quite casual but professional and, and celebrating fine ingredients. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great, great ingredients, great food. Obviously, tasty food, which is the most important thing. Yeah. If you have, obviously, your multiple restaurants internationally, how do you ensure that there's that same experience? Because obviously that's a challenge. Obviously, when you're at your farm, that's one thing. But if you have, like, these multiple entities globally, how do you ensure that the experience is the same for a, a citizen, a customer, a consumer, and, and also that sort of quality and also your commitment to the planet? 
Yeah, well, quite simply the same. Longclim has been a breeding ground for talent. All the chefs that are at head chef level or, or, or below, all the managers in all the restaurants that we have, have come through that Longclim Academy. Mm-hmm. You know, even in Hong Kong, when we opened, 50% of the team have worked for us before. So they all have had that ethos bred into them. I mean, what sort of advice would you give to young chefs today that would be looking at your work and feeling very inspired? Patience is is the main thing. We we have so many youngsters through the doors now that, you know, want more and more too quickly. Mm. Having a good apprenticeship, taking your time. If you're good and, and you follow the right path, things will work out for you in the end and you'll have a very, very good living. It's a great one of the greatest uh, trades to be in, I think. Um, and I guess of, also there's that element of bringing something very particularly bespoke to you to the table. I guess that kind of way of, you know, if you're if that is a career that you want for yourself, it's, you know, it's it's a busy, maybe overcrowded and you want to have a real point of difference. Yeah, I mean, we, we I think we do uh, have a real point of difference. We are very much connected to our surroundings and I think people appreciate us uh, more because of that and uh, you know that's hopefully why we're full for quite some time now uh, with people being able to, to to go out yeah well it just feels so progressive and so kind of in sync with actually how we all want to live now and that actually connection from land you know to the to the food that you're eating and that understanding of the the traceability of that journey of that ingredient is just you know so important now on to our hosts the fabulous family at Royal Ascot. You know, 2018, I think, was the year that you made your Royal Ascot debut. And we all know that chefs are sort of under pressure on a daily basis uh, that, um, you know, at these very high-profile events, they obviously bring quite a lot of things to think about. Um, Was that – how did that start? And was any of the kind of initial part of that daunting? Well, leading up to the the first uh, event we did at, at Royal Ascot, I was very excited, obviously, and I didn't really worry about the daunting side of it. It was only when we got there, we realised, blimey, um, this is busy. It is busy and, and it, it, you know, it can seem daunting, but it, it is so exciting to be a part of it. And I guess, you know, I'm interested because having been at Royal Ascot a few times, I'm just interested in the, the actual sort of food that you would be preparing in regards to looking at a menu for Royal Ascot because there's so many things to consider, whether it's sort of standing around with your binoculars and a glass of fizzy pop and your programme of the event and that, well, you know, what do you eat that's easy and delicious and, and, and you can manage? Or indeed, yeah. the other option, which is actually the sort of sat down experience. So when you're putting together a menu for Royal Ascot, what sort of things go through your mind, Simon? Well, this is our, our third um, event now. So when we put the menu together, Simplicity is probably the key. A lot of the work's done in the preparation. So I think for the first event, I probably did every lunch and I never moved off one spot. I'm just plating the main course. It was just like throwing plates at me, just stood in the same place. And I remember it being, uh, you know, a little bit stressful trying to get them all out in, 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 in you know, tip-top condition. So simplicity is key. Preparation is, is the important part. And can you just tell us some of the sort of champion sort of hero dishes or sort of menus that you can share with us just to get our sort of mouth watering a little bit of like previous Royal Ascot food? Um, well, I mean, this year, I mean, we've got, you know, a couple of nice little snacks. Um, we're doing uh, our truffle pudding, mm. which is uh, one of our signature dishes in all the restaurants, which is going to glaze that in a bit of birch sap and uh, just top it with some lovely Birkswell cheese. And then we've got a smoked cod roe and broccoli tart. They're the little snacks to get your mouth watering. 
And then this year we're going for some cured Scottish salmon. Uh, I've got some radish and oysters to go with that as well. And then we've got some Lakeland beef this year. And then I'm going to finish off with some some gooseberries. Have the whole menu done from ingredients up uh, up in the lakes. So, um, yeah, very healthy, hopefully, as well. Very tasty. And, Sounds um, absolutely delicious. I'm really <laughs> very hungry. When you think back about the, the, the times at Ascot, what would you say been your most memorable? What have you enjoyed about it? Have you got any sort of anecdotes or fun sort of Royal Ascot tales or perhaps somebody who's dining with you? Well, I suppose the video of um, you know, the, the whole team that we did for the... Uh, you know, for, for Royal Ascot, where they're all dancing around. Um, is the great song. Uh, do, do, do you recall that one? I do, yeah. Yeah, so I think that was a, that's got to be right at the top. Um, that just about summed up our spirit. It's such a legendary historical event. And so just to be part of that is a great honour we're mm. very fond of. And, and to be there this year is even more poignant. Some things that have gone on and uh, we're going to enjoy it more than ever. Obviously, you've had this extraordinary career and those listening I guess you know like anybody who's sort of reached the the top of their game like what would you say is the sort of the grit and the and the focus and the the sort of skill set that has got you to where you are today? Well I suppose they've changed over the years Um, in in the early years I was probably quite stubborn um, and quite you know single-minded and uh, it was my way or the highway and you know more thinking about what I wanted to do rather than, uh, you know, thinking about the picture. But then I suppose you become a little bit older and wiser and realise this is better as a team effort and taking on more opinion. So that's how it's developed for me. Mm. And I guess that sense of like in togetherness, we rise, you know, finding that community of like-minded people who share your values and your principles, then that's a really powerful offering as opposed to trying to do it solo. Yeah, and I want this to carry on. I won't be probably at the stove too much longer. I want the, the company to thrive and, and carry on and, and to leave a little bit of a legacy. Yeah, well, you've carved out a sector for yourself. Now, just a, a couple of questions. So what would you say is your career highlight to date? What would that be? Oh, uh, career highlight to date. I mean, probably opening the doors of uh, Long Clean for the first time in 2002. I mean, that's been you know, uh, my, my dream, if you like. You know, I, I was always destined to be my own boss and to, to achieve my own, the way the things I wanted to achieve. I needed to be my own boss. Events like Asker, you know, pop ups all over the world. Opening in Hong Kong was 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 was, was a, a dream of mine as well. You know, we've got some other projects that we're working on at the moment, and uh, you know, so uh, very very exciting future at the moment. That's so brilliant. Uh, what about any of these sort of amazing guests that you've served? Are there any really standout highlights of? you know, incredible people that you've, you've served food to? My all-time favourite probably would be Roger Federer, a big tennis fan. And uh, obviously, Roger Federer is God. And he's exactly how you would expect him in real life. He is just an impeccable human being. And um, it, was a, it was an honour to cook for him. He's one of my idols. So he's probably up there. The one as well, Liam Gallagher, he's... he's uh, He's a bit of a foodie, believe it or not. Yeah, there's been many, many um, really amazing people that I've had the honour to cook for. So, uh, you know, once again, that goes with the job. You know, it's uh, it's a great profession to, to be in, to meet people that you yeah. wouldn't expect you ever meet, you know. Yeah, quite. And like you say, an honour, because actually cooking fine food, beautiful food that you've created for somebody that you really respect. Such a lovely transaction, really. 
Now, obviously, this year has been tough for everybody, but the hospitality sector really has had one hurdle after another. Um, But it feels now that there's this very sort of aligned focus of what the future could look like. So just to close, what do you want to share with us about the future of the Simon Rogan business? What's your your offering to the world moving forward? Um, Well, obviously, the restaurants have reopened now. Um, They've all got great new menus, great teams in them. Yeah, we could do a few more people because of the, the amount of business that uh, we got, then uh, that'd be great. But, you know, uh, we haven't cooked for five months, so uh, it's, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. But great products. Um, the Simon and Rogan at home range has now, you know, gone to you know, new premises, so we're going to build on that. We've got some uh, nice nice things happening with that in other, in other areas as well, which are quite exciting, which will be announced soon. Uh, Rogan, uh, the Rogan name in Hong Kong is going to get a little bit bigger. We're going to open a couple of bakeries there now as well, um, which uh, we'll be opening as soon as we can get out there. And uh, hopefully we're going to be opening up on two new continents that we don't operate at the moment. So for us, it's a, it's a time of expansion, um, a time of making things better and really investing in our, in, in our team um, to, like I say, bring that, bring those people forward to take up these key positions and, and bring in fresh recruits that can be inspired by what they can achieve by looking at these, these guys that are, are now, you know, taking up the reins and all the things that we're doing. So very, very exciting time for us. How lovely. How lovely. Well, listen, Simon, it's been an absolute thrill to speak to you about your career and all of your vision with sustainable cooking and just how inspiring it is that you've built this brand that, you know, houses such a progressive uh, form of business um, we look forward to seeing you at Royal Ascot this year yeah um, uh, yeah can't wait I mean it's uh, gonna be gonna be really amazing and uh, we, we aim to, to smash out of the park with, uh, with with the product yeah. this year make sure the guests are, 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 are really uh, have a, a memorable experience yeah, well, that menu sounds amazing. So I'll definitely be coming to catch up with you and uh, and, and taste some of that fine food. Um, Simon, have a lovely rest of your day. And uh, as I say, we'll see you at Ascot and take care. Cool. Thank you very much. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for joining our insightful podcast. And we look forward to welcoming you back next time as we catch up with another remarkable voice in fashion, food and all things nice at Royal Ascot. And there you have it, a fascinating glimpse into the world of style and fashion at Royal Ascot on A New Era in Style. We hope you've enjoyed this special crossover episode while you eagerly await the next instalment of Personal Threads.